Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Welcome back to the Dogs Program. The Dogs, we are the defenders of government schools. It's good to have your company here on 3CR 855 and AM Darwin. Podcast on the www's at 3cr.org.au. Um, we are the defenders of government schools because they're being attacked all over the place in Australia, but also not just Australia, around the world. Um, for those who haven't been living under a rock, there's some really weird stuff going on lately. Um, in the English-speaking world particularly, um, I suppose we get to hear about that because we speak English and read English and English stuff goes around and round. When I say English speaking, there's a couple of different places I want to talk about today that aren't Australia. One's Ingerland, Angleland, where um, some very interesting things are happening. Um, politics has come to a standstill. Um, we have a, there's, there's a, apparently a government that doesn't have a majority and an opposition that doesn't want an election. So it's all just a bit of a mess to do with this thing called Brexit. I don't want to talk about that. What I do want to talk about is in the cracks, um, there's some education policies being released, and it's really rather interesting. But it's on the back of um, an education system in England that's developed over the centuries, which Jen will be telling you about, but also discussing what the, the new Labour Party's education policy is over there in England. It's quite radical. Um, I'll be talking a little bit also about what's going on in America with Betsy DeVos, and we'll be doing a little bit of analysis again um, of, the, of the ANZ survey in terms of how private schools are faring in Australia, and the answer is not very well. But with all of those things, I think that's enough to go on with. Uh, we'll, of course, have our, our usual mix of eclectic music, and, of course, we'll be finishing up with our great state school, which we'll be discussing in detail, because this country is full of extraordinary schools run, dare I say it, by the people, for the people. They are the state schools. A state school in Australia is a school that if you, if you turn up at the door and you live in the local area, you get in. Um, they don't care how tall you are, how short you are, how you cut your hair, the colour of your skin, the religious affiliation that you and your, you and your parents um, are subscribed to. Private schools, of course, can, can just not enrol you because they don't feel like it or, as they would say so often, um, we're afraid that this child does not fulfil the values of the school, which is a catch-all to say, we don't want you, because you're too short, or you're too tall, or you're too dumb, or you're too smart, or you're too gay, or you're too bi, or you're too whatever the wrong religion is. Um, our basic beef, and I'm going to say it for those people who haven't listened, is that um, we get sick and tired of paying money, like my money, your money, taxpayers' money, to support the private education system in Australia. There's only one um, organisation or group of schools that should be supported by the taxpayer, and that's public schools, because they are open to all. They are not exempt from any laws in Australia. Um, and um, private schools are, so well, they can just go and be private. Oh, we, we, we think that there should be private schools, but they should actually be private. If you want to separate your child off from the rest of Australia because of a particular idea or religious affiliation, go for your life as far as we're concerned, because that's religious freedom. But certainly don't expect me to pay for it, because that's not religious freedom. That's, um, that's religious hegemony. Anyway, um, we'll be back after this with some discussion about what's going on in the United Kingdom uh, with Jane's famous press release. Press release number, what is it, Jane? 810. Great, we'll hear that. We'll hear that after this. 3CR are selling kefir Palestinian scarves in support of the last factory that produces them in Hebron, Palestine. All profits will be donated to the reconstruction efforts in Gaza and support Palestinian industry. These are traditional scarves available in red and 
black, or you can choose from a modern design. Go to 3cr.org.au slash shop to buy online or drop into the station during business hours. From October the 28th to the 31st, some of the worst climate criminals will be gathering for the International Mining Conference, IMARC, at the Melbourne Convention Centre. Blockade IMARC is an activist alliance committed to putting a stop to the mass destruction caused by extractive industries across the globe and the harm they cause to communities and ecosystems. We need your help to be part of this blockade. Find out how at blockadeimark.com or check out our Facebook page, Blockade IMARC. A 3CR supporter. Six years I've been in prison. Beyond the Bars is 3CR's annual prison project, giving voice to our Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander inmates right across Victoria. It's good to be here with us, uh, Aboriginal Radio, and um, you don't really get to do this much. Brings us all together. Time, you'll get your time to take that first step out that front door to freedom beyond these walls. Make sure and I just want to say thank you to all of you for giving us the opportunity to speak on air. The reason, the bigger the calling. Make your commitment and watch things And you can listen to audio from this year's broadcasts and previous years as well. Online at any time, just go to 3cr.org.au forward slash beyond the bars. But also while I'm here, I'd like to say thank you for all for coming, um, helping, giving us a chance to do this. It's really good, you know. It's been going for a while now. Hopefully it goes, it keeps going. You know, like it's, it's good that we can do this and um, get our voice out there as prisoners. We can't blame everything on the external, so let's stop looking for it in the hands of the persecutor because real power comes from here and it comes from family. If you would like us to post you a free CD, contact the station on 03 9419 Well, here is press release 810. Will Australia follow the United Kingdom if Jeremy Corbyn's Labor government is elected? And here's a quote. Labor will pledge to abolish private schools if it wins the next election. And universities are told to ensure that no more than 7% of their students were privately educated. There's two words here that we've got to be careful of, and that's the two words private schools because in the United Kingdom, private schools are a little bit different to what they are here. But Australian politicians have an unfortunate habit of allowing the United Kingdom or the United States of America to set a precedent and then, somewhat slavishly, following it. They've done this historically even when the policy has been abandoned in the motherlands. I'm using the term motherlands because although England used to be regarded as the motherland, we've got another one across the Pacific that Mr Morrison has been visiting recently. Now, following these countries' policies has not always been a bad thing. For example, the Irish national system, which sought to extend elementary education to an impoverished Irish, Irish peasantry in the 19th century, was opposed by the Catholic Church and abandoned there by 1900 in that tragic country. Yet it survived the opposition of the Church in Australia so far and has flourished to become our current public system. It's under threat constantly, of course, by the church schools, but, um, and, it, and it's always been derided by those who support it, usually for moral reasons. But the church is a bit on the back foot at the moment on 
value systems and morality. But we've also inherited here in Australia the bulwark of both the meritocratic and the class system of the United Kingdom, namely the selective grammar schools and the private high-fee schools for the elite. Schools like Eton are labelled private or greater public schools. They're not public, of course. They're not publicly open in our sense. But over there, they have been called greater public schools. And parish schools are labelled maintained schools and they're required to enrol local children. The poorer private sector in Australian terms in the United Kingdom are labelled these maintained rather than private schools for the simple reason that they are in fact maintained with public money. But public money also goes to the elite private schools as in Australia. But Australia has not yet adopted the maintained nomenclature for our so-called independent low-fee schools, and we suggest they should do so. We call them dependent schools. But in the same fashion as some Australian citizens are outraged by the public funding and behaviour of Australia's wealthy high-fee church schools, so in England the tide is turning against this private sector in the Labor Party, would you believe? Recent events prompt Australian educators to wonder if our Labor Party, or even the Greens, would have the temerity to follow their lead. So what has happened in the United Kingdom in the last week to make me wonder about this in this press release 810. At the Labor Party's United Kingdom recent annual conference, the conference Labor pledged to abolish private schools if it wins the next election. And the next election's on the horizon. The annual conference voted for a proposal to integrate them into the state sector and demand that universities enrol no more than 7% of their graduates. Please note that they haven't voted to ban them, they have voted to integrate them into the um, state school sector. In a major policy shift, a motion approved by the delegates at the gathering at Brighton said that a government led by Jeremy Corbyn would challenge the elite privilege of private schools and claimed that the ongoing existence of private schools is incompatible with Labor's pledge to promote social justice. It said the party would include in its next manifesto, quote, a commitment to integrate all private schools into the state sector. And the finance policy chief, John MacDonald, said that a detailed proposal was still being written. So they're doing the figures on it. And listeners, I'll be very careful about uh, believing Boris Johnson's figure of $7 billion or more. Only approximately 7% of British pupils are educated at these particular schools, 600,000-odd apparently. And Johnson himself went to the elite Eton School. But critics say that they dominate the places at the top universities and they are far overly representative in senior roles in politics, law, media and business. So the old school network is alive, well and flourishing in the UK in the same way as it is in Australia. The Labor leader, Jeremy Corbyn, also spent some years of his education at a private school, I think from the years 7 to 11, uh, when he was 7 years of age and 11 years of age. And several members of his team, of course, of senior lawmakers, sent their children to fee-paying schools. 
So the discussions will take place exactly on how it will work. But you can see this developing over time, the Finance Minister MacDonald, Shadow Minister um, MacDonald said. What we're saying is, let's have one education service for everybody. Let's end these grotesque levels of inequality within our education system. It would include scrapping the independent school's charitable status and all other public subsidies and tax privileges. And controversially, the party will also force universities to ensure that only 7% of students they admit went to private schools, the same proportion as in the general population. And the private school's property, land and other assets will be seized and redistributed democratically and fairly across the country's educational institutions. Well, the Labor Party in Australia back in the 1960s and 70s was talking a little bit like this. Not completely, but a little bit. But we have seen recently how they have backed up the Morrison government's special slush fund of billions to the private sector. So dogs are watching this space with interest. And we also had a look at the comments uh, to the articles in the British press. Uh, I haven't looked at them in the Australian press, but the British press comments were really quite interesting. Uh, large numbers of them were very pro-private schools and absolutely outraged about dumbing down and getting rid of the very best for the elite. But Bodkin Van Horn had this to say, I always wondered why, when they publish the rankings for the best education system in the world, governments from other countries didn't just copy the best system. They do in industry. Best practices are copied across the board. Finland has the best education system in the world, in part because they abolished private schools. Well, they actually abolished fees. If you want to be up with the best, you have to emulate the best. So that was quite interesting. And the BBC got onto a big fact check about the Finnish education system uh, in response to that. But the ones that also interested me are here, and I'll get um, Dale to read them out to you. Thanks, Jean. The first comment uh, I've got here is uh, wealth and privilege beget wealth and privilege. The tumocracy the keeps it all for itself and the rest of us fools are either intimidated or impressed by the arrogance. Oh, so amusing eccentricities and plummy vows that are paid for with hard mercantile cash off the backs of working people, either recently or down the centuries. It is probably getting worse, but there are glimmers of hope. I note that private school pupils now sometimes avoid naming their school on CVs, suggesting that employers are getting wise to the fact that grades can be bought as well as worked for. And then William 26 says, Public schools, in Britain they mean private, must be abolished. And the first step should be to remove their charitable status, which is nothing short of scandalous. And then Becky Thatcher says, they'll just move to Europe. That would achieve nothing. Yeah, thanks very much, Jean. Thanks very much, Dale. That's the press release here on the Dogs Program, Defenders of Government Schools. Yeah, we'll head to a break now. Um, after we get back to the break, I just, just briefly want to talk about something that is so immensely stupid. Um, that it, it just it just needs to be said, um, and this immensely stupid thing has actually been put forward by a bunch of business people in New South Wales as a, a radical rethink of how schools in Australia should be funded, and it actually relates in many ways to what Jean was talking about this this concept of entrenched privilege creating problems rather than, rather than creating solutions. Uh, the New South Wales Business Council um, is intent upon a funding model which, by definition, 
uh, will entrench a new privilege. But let's talk about that after this. Welcome back to the Dogs Programme at the Defenders of Government School. That was a little piece called Stella Splendens in Mall. Um, just to prove we're not anti-religious, that's a lovely little pilgrim song. Something you'd sing as you walked on your way on the pilgrim's road to the Contigas to Santa Maria about, oh, I don't know, 800 years ago. Something sweet. Um, not as, well, much sweeter, I would say, than what the business lobby in New South Wales proposed. Get this. It is just mindless. Sorry, I mean, rarely do you come across stuff that's just so obviously. Um, but the thing that gets me is that the business lobby has the ear of our current government, and there would be many um, coalition MPs that would agree with this proposal. Let me tell you what it is. The proposal is that students, once they leave school, should have their tax returns, their Centrelink data, and whether they enrol in further study all be used to determine the funding of the school that they used to attend. That's real performance pay. Yeah, real performance pay. So 
if you're a student, you go to school and then, and then you leave school. Once you've left school, all of your tax return data, all of your Centrelink, Centrelink data, and your record of further um, employment and or study um, will be used to determine school funding of the school that you went to. And if you don't get a job and you don't go on to study, then money will be taken away from the school that you used to go to. For how many years? For how many generations? It's Um, extraordinary. The New South Wales Business Chamber has called for a version of what they call outcome-based funding, where schools are paid based on the performance of their students and the performance of the teachers rather than the current needs-based funding um, model shaped by the businessman David Gonski. Now, I know Jean thinks that needs-based funding is a stupid idea. I agree. But this is outcome-based funding. It's even worse. <laughs> it's, it's mindless. The In other cha- words, children don't have the right to have an education as such. Um, they just have the obligation to somehow be industrious members of um, a market economy. That, that's how you how you um, define a child. I find this quite extraordinary. Yeah, so um, the Chamber's submission is actually to the Upper House um, uh, Member of Parliament in New South Wales. It's actually to Mark Latham. Um, and he's giving in-principle support. Mark Latham has yep. thought this one up, has he? No, 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 no. It's being submitted to him. Oh, right. And his inquiry is giving in-principle support to abandoning needs-based funding model it has taken years to agree between the states and the Commonwealth and replacing it with a performance-driven system. However, the Chamber of Commerce says performance should not be measured solely by test results but by a student's success in finding work and further education as well into the future. This will be assessed partly by tracking former students' Centrelink data, their tax returns and their further study records. What about the privacy, wow. privacy issues? Yeah, just going, yeah, big business likes big data, don't they? And, and lack of privacy. So, school, Again, yeah, um, schools that produce, by the way, according to the submission, schools that produce students who are gainfully employed or in vocational training or university, those schools, once they've left, uh, would get more money. They say, and I quote, and this is a quote from Cliff Lamont, the Business Chamber's Director of Policy, he says, moving to outcomes-based funding should look at incentivising outcomes such as skills attainment and job outcomes rather than just focusing on test scores such as NAPLAN, HSC or VCE. Now, needs-based funding aims to distribute resources to schools based on how much they need it. (laughs) Financial disadvantage is a key component, including for private schools serving poorer communities. Well, not not many of those left. Um, Under outcome-based funding, schools are rewarded for their students' achievements, although this is typically measured by improvement rather than just raw results. But how do you do that? Sorry, I find this... Not, not only incredibly, incredibly intrusive and big brotherish, it's, um, it's stupid. And, and I'll just come to why. Anyway, Mr Latham, who chairs the Upper House Education Committee, previously said schools shouldn't lose money because of poor results. But if those with stronger results received a greater share of funding, there would be a strong demonstration effect in the system. Yeah. Bear in mind in Australia, the single greatest determinant of your success in a school is your postcode. It's not the quality of the teachers, nothing to do with the school, it's your postcode, because we live in a segregated education system. Some would say, and I'd be amongst them, an apartheid system based upon parental income. Now, the New South Wales government's effectively rejected that proposal in its submission to the inquiry, affirming it is committed to the Gonski. Mr Piccoli, um, who used to be in the Member of Government, now is not, said outcome-based funding is based on an unfair and unworkable concept. He says you can't fund a school system like that, could you fund hospitals like that? You know, I mean, I know we're going to take money away from the hospitals where all the people die because they don't have enough money to keep the people alive. So the solution to the problem is we'll take more money away from them and then they'll get better. Oh, jeez. The experience in the US is when they do this, because they've already tried this, this, you know, businesses have tried this stuff. The experience in the US when they do this is people start dodging the figures. Oh, they'll play. They'll, oh. The private schools are past masters at gaming. Yeah, guaranteed. So. We'll start manipulating the numbers. And I'll be talking about manipulation of numbers and ideas soon when we get back to talking about the United Kingdom, which was what Jean was talking about in the beginning. But I just thought I'd take aside this whole idea of entrenching privilege. I mean, 
the schools that get the best results in this country with the best outcomes in terms of jobs, the best outcomes in terms of further employment, the best, the best outcomes in terms of further education, the best outcomes in terms of staying off the dole are selective state schools. You know, the Fort Streets, the Melbourne Highs, the McRobertsons. You know, they're the schools that are the best. They'll be fine. They'll be then swimming in money, which is great. But um, all those schools out there teaching the majority of the Australians will be losing money because, because they're not McRob. I mean, at a certain point, not everyone wants to go to McRob, you know? At a certain point, you want a school to function and serve its community um, and serve its community as well as it can. And talking about whether someone does or doesn't get a job within three to five years of when they leave school. I mean, all these 60-year-olds who are retired, um, does that mean that their school loses money because they're no longer in gainful employment? <laughs> I mean, what's, what kind of ridiculous... Anyway, um, there's this fundamental idea, and it's a really interesting one, that um, if you apply competitive principles to an education system, it improves it. Nowhere on the planet has this ever succeeded. And I wish our government had worked it out, and I wish the New South Wales Business Council would say, do you know what? You're the New South Wales Business Council. Go and compete with each other. Find out exactly how many 7-Elevens you can have and how many corners or how many pubs per square kilometre you can have that can survive. Your business. Education is not a business. Children are not products, and their education is beyond your ken. I'm sorry, it is far, more, far too complex. It's about something much bigger than making money. It's about something much bigger than selling a product. But I think we just have a few messages, but I do want to go back to this concept of entrenching privilege um, in the heart of privilege, I suppose, which would be what Jean says, one of, one of our mother countries back in England. It's fascinating. Red alert. Numbers are needed at the Japurung Heritage Protection Embassy camps immediately. Sacred birthing trees on Japurung country need protecting. Over 50 generations have been born on these sites and the birthing trees themselves are 800 years old. These trees are being protected from the Victorian Labor Party's planned highway extension that is set to destroy this sacred dreaming landscape. The campaign to protect country is led by Japurung traditional owners who are calling on people from all walks of life for support. You can help by joining traditional owners at the camp on Japurung country near Ararat or by donating and putting pressure on Daniel Andrews to protect this sacred land. Visit dwembassy.com for more information and updates. No trees, no treaty. Victoria's roadside drug testing program is not about road safety. In last year's governmental inquiry into drug law reform, it was noted that Victoria's RDT program is falling behind on latest evidence regarding impairment. Currently, Victoria Police can charge people for detection of either cannabis, amphetamines or MDMA. But those detections do not correlate with impairment. Impaired drivers should be removed from the roads and that's why we're urging an inquiry into Victoria's RDT scheme to ensure that the resources that are currently employed to make our roads safer are being properly used to make our roads safer. Help us refocus road safety onto what makes roads safe. Sign the e-petition parliament.vic.gov.au forward slash council forward slash petitions and look for the Inquiry into Drug Driving Reform, Petition 117. A 3CR supporter. Yeah, Japarung. Yeah, and if the government wants to make money, there's more effective ways than going around chasing people with, with drug detection things, I reckon. Anyway, um, I promised I would talk about privilege. Yes, privilege. Privilege. Well, I suppose... I mean, you, you can't see me, but, yeah, I'm white, I'm male, I'm, I'm tall, most things are my fault. I'm, I'm at the heart of privilege, truth to tell. And understanding that actually helps me get through life because knowing what I have it means that that means I can know that I have that much more to give. But I'm going to talk about a book, interesting book. It's called Engines of Privilege, how privilege is generated, how it, how it gets along the road, how it survives from generation to generation because when people talk about family values, what they're actually talking about is transmitting privilege in many, many ways. I want what is best for my child means that I want my child to have either more than I have or have at least what I have because that's what I want for my family. Now, Kate Clancy in The Guardian just recently wrote an interesting review of a book called Engines and Privilege. Now, beyond the concept of wanting the best for your child is the school system they go to. And she, this, this book... Um, it's a fascinating book. It actually analyses the public 
school system in the United Kingdom, which Dara quite rightly points out every time I say it, is actually the private school system. It is, it is separate and distinct to what we call public schools. It's in fact what they call the great public schools, um, which are you know, Eton and Harrow and such like and so forth. Now, British private schools, okay, they call them public, but they are private schools, are a challenge to any form of progressive government. When Corbyn, in the Labour Party conferences, Jean quite rightly points out, are taking up this challenge, probably for the first time in... Probably for the first time ever. I can't imagine... Um, I can't recall a time in history when the, when, when the private school system, like the elite private school system, has been taken on. But they're small, as a system in, in, in the United Kingdom, they cater for 7% of the children of the island. And yet, their influence is so all-pervasive. So conspicuously unfair, and yet so intricately embedded in the establishment. So very hard to uproot. In the 19, 1970, Mary Warnock, who was a philosopher, summed up the problem of private schools in England very crisply. She said, They have sizable endowments, great prestige and, of course, influence. They command a kind of loyalty which is largely irrational. It might be both difficult and unpopular simply to legislate them out of existence, and who knows by what ingenious dodges they might even so manage to survive. Now, ingenious dodges. Ingenious dodges is an interesting phrase. It's the sort of thing that smacks of Sir Humphrey Appleby from the Yes Minister series all those years ago as the most exciting chapter of a book in this particular book that they're talking about. Private schools historically have indeed pulled some really ingenious dodges in the past. Like the fastest dodge of all, it's perhaps the most superbly Sir Humphrey-like exercise in vested interest, disguised as public virtue. While the processes by which the public inverted commas school get their confusing name. Now, I didn't know this. It's interesting. The very famous schools, Eton, Harrow and Chums, have been founded, or had been founded many years ago, on generous legacies for the education of the poor, of the poor specifically right. of the local poor people. Yes, that's right. The but, grammar schools also. Yeah. They were for not the education of the rich. They were for the education of the poor. The education of the rich in those days was, of course, undertaken by, by a series of tutors, mm. and usually in-house or in mansion or whatever, or in palace indeed. Like by 1860s, these education systems for the local poor children, the Eatons and the Harrows, had sunk into the Tom Brown school days style brutishness, and their legacies of the schools by then had, were being abused. The Clarendon Commission in the 19th century enforced better governance and made the scholarships to these schools public. So they were open to any boy who took a competitive exam in the classics. Now there's the trick. Only the wealthy can teach their children the classics. classics. This effectively meant that the scholarship money went not to the local poor children who had no, who had no concept of Thucydides or Herodotus, <laughs> but to rich men's sons, in, who, of course, were all attending what they call preparatory schools that soon sprang up um, all around the country, and, of course, boys who could travel from all over the country on the new railways that were being built in the 19th century. Now, this book is sharp, too, on how the schools responded to their new public role, replacing caddish flashmans with pliable Tom Browns, destined for the colonial service, exchanging anarchy and drinking for muscular Christianity, swapping toasting before the fire for obsessive sport and cricket 11s, who took, and I quote, took flying kicks at junior, junior posteriors, their white shoes marking the score. Above all, the schools became skilled at building Warnock's irrational loyalty. Lasting bonds of senior to junior, good chap to good chap. Sir Humphrey to the minister. Only Clement Attlee's obsession with his school, Halebury, the author suggests, allowed the schools to survive a post-war consensus against them. Later, it was Tony Croston's borderline, boundaryist love for freedom engendered at Highgate and fellow Labour Minister Douglas Jay's loyalty to Winchester to preserve the fiefdoms of the private schools through the post-war era and extended Labour threats. Now, in this particular book, the interest falters in subsequent chapters to the first one. This may partly stem from the change of a writer, as the suave, punchy, 
people-packed paragraphs of David Kiniston, familiar from his, his book Austerity Britain, seem to give way to a less practiced prose of his writing partner, who's an economist, Francis Green. Green is scolding. He's repetitious, apparently. All lumpy metaphors. He says, It seems that learning and luxury have become conjoined in an ungainly couple. Rhetorical questions and patronising italics. Um, what do Britain's opinion formers or, or influence commentators and politicians think about this issue, he says in italics. But mostly it's because the narrative becomes distanced from the schools themselves. Rather than the footprints on bums, we get aloof considerations of educational issues and pages of reportage of what, I quote, important opinion formers and politicians thought about schools. What Michael Gove said about the former Shadow Education Secretary Tristan Hunt, or what Lord Waldegrave really thought about the politician Peter Willoughby. What indeed one chap said about another chap. The voices chosen are overwhelmingly male, and occasionally women referred to patronisingly. Um, but yes. But another thing about this particular book is that there's no teachers. There's no teachers speaking. There is not, and there are screeds from the Daily Mail, even a line from the teacher's paper, the TES. Teachers' training and working conditions are barely glanced at, and neither are any of the enormous recent changes in the school curriculum in the exam systems. Not even a Mr Chips? No. Now, no doubt the schools, as they did with, with the Clarendon Commission in the 19th century, would eat any sort of political movement to, to, to disband them. Mm in now, in, in these coming times. And in fact, there have been several, and I'm surprised to find out, actually having sort of read this article and the now bits of the book itself, that there have been attempts to get rid of the, oh, yes. inverted covers, public school system. Yes. But private schools are smart institutions and all about the specifics. In the last 30 years, they have grabbed every opportunity and anticipated every turn of fashion. As we, like all around the world, have become obsessed with school data, so they have anticipated and become more selective and academic and decided that they're going to dominate the league tables. When the feminist agenda became more important, girls' schools captured it, turning into academic powerhouses, pushing girls into science educating, they tell us, the female leaders of the future. As our attention turned to mental health, so private schools came to the forefront of mindfulness education and well-being counselling. As the state schools have been staved off funds and bullied by curriculum changes, so private schools have picked up and dropped genders, uh, persecuted subjects and displaced teachers. First classes, then history of art, then modern languages, now music and drama, and cruelest of all, especially in needs education. They have replaced bum-kicking with liberal lions on transgender pupils. Colonial patronage has been replaced with multiculturalism. Dumb team sports with Olympic sailing. Flashman has been replaced with Damien Lewis, and Jerusalem, the song, has been replaced with James Blunt. They've helped themselves annually to larger and larger slices of what we love and value most of the cultural capital pie, and all the time singing with Sir Humphrey and Jack Horner, oh, what a good multicultural feminist artistic dyslexic-friendly girl am I. They've boxed a terrific match, and it would sadly take much defter, subtler and better research book than this to ever lay a glove on them. And I think Jeremy Corbyn, indeed, has his work set out, if he wishes to um, integrate the, the private elite schools into the public system. But quite frankly, good luck to him. Good luck to him, indeed. We'll be returning with more dogs after this.
Every week on the Doctor Program we have a special segment to show a different state school is a great school. State schools are great schools. School of the week. State school. School of the week. Great state schools. State schools. School of the week. School for the week here on the Dogs Program. Welcome back to the Dogs Program here on 3CR 855 and the AM Dance. Good to have your company back here again. It's come to that good time. We're not complaining about things and neither is Jane. We're not cynically guiding you through the problems of public education in the world today. We're talking about a very specific place, a very specific time, a very specific school, a very specific bunch of kids and teachers and a community that surrounds them. We're talking about a great state school. This one's in Gosford. Um... It's called, very uncomplicatedly, the Gosford High School. <laughs> In fact, it is Gosford High School. It's a great school. Um, it's just recently celebrated its 90th anniversary. It is the oldest um, school in the area up there in Gosford. And it's making Gosford very much sought after um, place oh, to live. Yes, oh, yes, indeed. The Gosford High School. A state school. Oh, yes, I want to be in that catchment area because this school is great. Look, it's great for lots of reasons. Let me tell you a few of them. One, it's got good teachers, it's got good people, and it's quite large. Um, it has, and I think this is rather interesting. Um, I don't know about you when you were growing up, but Gosford was never a particularly wealthy place or a particularly poor place. It was just a middle-of-the-road place. The Gosford High School has uh, 85% of the kids are from the richest families in Australia. Yeah, they like their stink. I mean, and so you're starting off, of course, because in Australia, how much money your parents have is the greatest single determinant on how well you do at school, which is a disgusting fact. So when it comes to results, it's pretty amazing. Um, for all sorts of reasons, it's ICSIA value. Remember, the median value is 1,000. It's 1,149, like it's well above the average. It's a 7 to 12 school. It's, a, it's just a secondary school. And it's got a fair few kids in it. It's got a bit over 1,000. So it's not huge, but it's big. Um, it's got more boys than girls by a small percentage, and 40% of the kids who go there come from a language background other than English in Gosford. Um, 2% of the kids are Indigenous, so there's not many Indigenous kids there, but 40% come from a language background other than English. Um, what are the NAPLAN results? Well, I can tell you, you would not be surprised to learn the NAPLAN results. They're not very good. They're excellent. Compared to other rich, stinking rich schools, they are well above average. Compared to all Australian schools, um, they're well above, well above, well above average. <laughs> they are substantially above average. Um, how? Why? What's going on? Well, firstly, it's been there for 90 years, and you know, schools that have been there for 90 years go through various cycles, and they work and they work stuff out. I mean, it's an active learning community. And one of the things that actually it talks about more than anything else is democracy, believe it or not. A democratic fellowship of creative learners working together. That means it was set up in the Depression, you know. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. That's where it starts. Interesting. And I just think it's fascinating that as a school that does so well, it's interested in democracy. It's interested in... You know, people talk about the rising tide floating all boats. No, 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 no. We will drag each other up by each other's bootstraps. Nothing about the tide. We are our own tide here at Gosford. Thank you very much. Look, they're also very innovative, and they have been over the last 10 years, because their results have been significantly, you know, well above average all through that time. And, of course, developments in the curriculum and, ped and, and, and the way that people go about teaching and learning are underpinned in this school by current research. And when I say current research, I don't mean research from the New South Wales Business Council. No, 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 no. I'm talking about the actual process, the complex process of educating people. And, yes, they do assess things, but it's an ongoing process. The evaluation is actually a much more fluid thing than marks on a test. And it's not just something that, that applies to the kids. It applies to the kids and the teachers and the community as a whole. Because that's what the research shows, that the more you extend the idea of accountability in a sort of socially responsible way through an entire community, the better your results will come when it comes to getting a good education. Now, and unsurprisingly, um, Gosford High School is known for a very strong sense of community. And in fact, one of the reasons why it is such a very 
tight community is that the students have an active stake in the leadership of the school. So the Year 7 kids have an active voice in the running of the school. As do the Year 8 and Year 9 and Year 10 and Year 11 and Year 12. All the kids have an active role in leading the school into the future. They are responsible. Year 7 students are told at the Gospel High School, you will be in Year 12, you are the future of the school, what do you think should happen? What needs to be improved? You are part of this process. Yes, we will guide you. Yes, we are the teachers. Yes, I am the principal. And yes, those people sitting over there are your parents. But you have a role. This is a democratic fellowship and you have a voice that will be listened to. As a school, they strive, obviously, like most things, to strive for continuous improvement. And actually, the teacher's professional learning processes are actually integral to this entire process. So, whereas the Year 7 kids are responsible for leadership in the dynamic of the school, the teachers themselves are responsible for making sure that their professional practice is informed by current research and active evaluation. And it's not that sort of you pass the test or you're sacked kind of stuff. It's like, no, 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 we want to be able to support you, you and your team of science teachers or music teachers or English teachers or Year 7 coordinators. They work together. And the whole concept of a democratic approach is the antithesis of outcomes-based assessment, which the Business Council thinks is the way things should go. I'm sure the Business Council would say, well, if you're a school and you're not doing it very well, all you have to do is is, is refuse to enrol dumb kids and then you'll do better. Because that's what a business would do, isn't it? Well, the Business Council have to deal also with the New South Wales Teachers Federation and I believe that there's a fairly good... Uh, um, a good group of uh, Federation people up Gosford Way. So um yeah, yeah well, no, no. But just if you think of the principle, if you apply the business principles to a school, and you get money based upon how many successful jobs and training your kids get in ten, twenty, thirty, forty years time, then where do you spend your effort? Well, the first thing is you say if you've got a kid who's not going to, who you don't think is going to succeed at school, you just disenrol them because that's. That's like when you get your raw materials in your factory, you go, no, I'm not accepting that. I'm not accepting this raw material at year seven. This is, this is unacceptable. Send it back to where it came from. Send it back to the parents. We're not educating them. That's the business council's solution to the educational problems of poorly performing schools. Get rid of the stupid kids. No. No. Whereas the Gosford High School, and it's really a pleasure to say it, is the antithesis of that. It's about people working together. How much, how much does this Gosford High School utopia cost? It must cost a lot of money, all this Marxist education, talking about democracy and the year seven kids running schools. It's just ridiculous. It's a waste of money. No, it's not. 13000 on on the money a year. That's it. Some of the best results, in the NAPLAM results in the country come out of this school. 13,000. A bargain. You can spend 35,000 at Scotts or you can just move to Gosford and send them there. You get exactly the same results. Do you know what? That's exactly what parents do. Oh, it's wonderful to talk about a great state school after all the silly things we have to talk about here on this school. It is a pity that the dogs exist in many ways. It'd be nice just to sort of say, okay, everyone's worked it out. Um, every child in Australia needs a gold standard education. If they come from an underprivileged background, then yes, do give them money. It's an investment. Is it an investment in their future? Yes. Is it fair? Yes. Is it an investment in my future? Yes. Is it an investment in everyone's future? Yes, because we all live on the same damn islands. Flinders Island, King Island, Tasmania or the mainland or Lord Howe Island or Christmas Island. We all just live together and we need to work together to create an education system just like they do at the great state school, which is Gosford High. Want to defend government schools? We are the DOGS, D-O-G-S, Defenders of Government Schools. Every week on the DOGS program we have a special segment to show a different state school is a great school. If you're a parent or if you're a kid or if you're involved in the school in any way whatsoever and you love your state school, give 3CR a call. We want to hear about these schools that we're defending. 
Brunswick Secondary State College. schools are great. Harkaway Primary great School. Sunshine North Primary They're School. really concerned about the welfare of the kids and their growth as people as well as learning. You, got, like, you put on plays, you've got enrichment, you've got vis- physical education, visual arts, languages, all that. In fact, is there a cooking? Actually, an embracing of kids from disadvantaged backgrounds and with additional needs. More than half of your kids are from some of the poorest families in Australia. Yeah, definitely. That's the community and that's who we're servicing and that's who, that's who we welcome into the school. Outdoor play is linked to healthier and happier children. This, in turn, leads to better grades. In the when weekly uh, assemblies and stuff, they have a little thing, uh, you've been caught being good, and they have a, a value of the week each week, and so it's not just words that is actually... So, so what do the teachers do when it's a building site? Yeah, they kick themselves out of their own staff room and turn it into a classroom. Just a really nice culture and an emphasis on social skill building as well as learning. Quite a range of intellectual ability and kids with mental health diagnoses, refugee kids, kids who have not been in the country very long, don't necessarily start off with a positive great relationships with each other, with the teachers, and with the community. And they run a, a breakfast club. There's a recognition that some kids don't get breakfast, and so there's, there's food on. If you are involved in a state school and it's a great school, we'd love to hear from you so we can talk about it and tell the world. Leave a message for the dogs at 3CR on 9419 State schools are great schools. Great state schools. If you want to find out what we're talking about here on the Dogs Program, check it out on their website, www.adogs.info, which, of course, can be got through from the, dogs, uh, from the 3CR website on uh, 3cr.org.au. But uh, basically, until next week, when we have to come back and do the fight, it's bye for now from Dale, from myself, Rob, and from Jean. See you then. Says he.